0: Our scripture passage for today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And our message today is entitled, Christ the Solid Rock, Ultimate Reality. This is the Lord's Word. Everyone then, who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, It's good to see, wow, all these people here today. We come here to worship our God, our Savior. We come here to listen to His Word. Uh, We come here to see who is God, because it's in knowing who God is that we see what reality is like. If God was simply a projection of us as as human beings, then the, the proper place of study, studying religion, would be ourselves, would be anthropology, we study what is a human being and what do we desire and what do we like. We would be the author of all reality. But if the God of the Bible is really true, that the God of the Bible says that he is a transcendent being, that he's a totally other from us, that he is the one who created all things, he created all of reality. That he himself who authored how things should run, how things should work. that it's a comment upon us to know who God is. And to allow him to describe what is real. And for him to describe his character. For him to describe who we are. So that we can be aligned with what he has made and created. Now it just happens to be that the God of the Bible is not only a God of justice, but he's a God of mercy. And not all those who come to him, he gives salvation. That all those who come to him, he gives rest. And the reality that he creates, created for us is a reality where we can relate with him and be loved by him. To have relationship with one another that, that honors him and honors us as human beings as well. And if that is true, then it's incumbent upon us not to question what God says, but to simply obey and to live as God commands us to live and trust in his goodness and love for us, that as we do so, we reap the rewards of joy. We reap the rewards of love. We reap the rewards of his presence, of meaning in our lives. And so we're here together to worship God, not to figure out who we are primarily, but to figure out who God is and what he's done. And in so doing, we have better clarity of who we are and why God has made us. Praise be to God that he has revealed to us what is real, and he has revealed to us how we should live in this world to better glorify and know him and glorify him, and to love the world that is around him. The question that we as philosophers, and you're all philosophers, that we ask all the time is, what is ultimately real? What is that thing that will last forever? What is that reality which I should be working towards that I know has meaning that's transcendent? You know, people used to think that the world was flat. And Stephen Hawkins in his book, Uh, A Brief History of Time, talks about this one story about this this woman who believed that the world was flat and that it rested upon a tortoise. And then the the man asked him, well, what does a tortoise rest upon? And the woman said, it's just tortoises all the way down. Sort of an infinite regression. And so so for for some of us, we're like, well, what's ultimate reality? Well, Well, we don't know. We sort of make up reality as we go along. In the 20th century, a man by the name of Descartes said, "You know, I can't really figure out what ultimate reality is, because, in a sense, rationalism of the 19th century just didn't work. We tried to build the world upon the fact that that the re, that the laws of logic itself can describe all of reality." can save us by healing all the ills of this world. And so science and technology in the 19th and, and early 20th century became what sort of built our society. And in the beginning, it was good. It was good. Medical breakthroughs left and right. Sanitation was, was better. I mean, people were living a better life. And people started to see, you know, it's, it's knowing the rules of logic, science, and technology that can bring salvation to us all. But what happened? It was very simple. World War I and World War II happened. And they realized that technology, logic, reason, itself cannot be the ultimate reality, cannot bring meaning because humanity has used it to destroy, to kill Descartes said, well, if I can't trust that, what, what can I build reality on? And he says, the only dictum, the only thing I'm true of is the fact that I think, right? Therefore, I am. Now, you've heard, this, heard me say this many times, and, and, and I'm sure you have all have done that, where you're lying awake at night. Or maybe you go into those, uh, what are those called, those places where your sens- sens- sensory de- deprivation caves, right? You, you go, and there's nothing that you hear. There's nothing that can bother you, and you're simply left with your own thoughts. So Descartes was saying, listen, this is ultimate reality. It has to be my personal existence, I think, therefore I am. And so out of that, he built his, his philosophy of living. He built his philosophy of reality. But something happened along the way. If reality is simply based upon the fact that one person thinks, and one person thinks whatever he thinks, then what we have is a zillion different realities all over the place. And what we have is we have competing realities all all over the place. And these competing realities have different moralities to it. But the problem with that is what? If my idea of what is real and what is right and wrong impinges upon yours, you have a clash. So when you have that clash, the question is, how do you resolve that? If the ultimate reality has to be the subjective self of the person. And this is carried on today to what we have in postmodernism, right? Postmodernism is simply what? It's reality is what you make of it. And if several of you decide together say this is what reality should be, then you make a little group and say, this is reality. And this group makes a reality. And this group makes a reality. And for some reason, these groups can't talk to each other. Different visions of what is real. And a clash. And we have this today in in our culture wars in the U.S., whether it's it's political culture wars, whether it's it's sociological culture wars, whether it's culture wars uh, um, uh, due to sort of um, what is a human being, um, sexuality, all of these things are in the midst of us today with no resolution. The resolution simply is, who has the louder voice? Who has the political power? Who has the political will? But scripture teaches us something different. Scripture teaches us that the ultimate reality of all things is simply God and God himself revealed in scripture that God himself revealed in Scripture is the only thing, the only person through which we can build any type of Christian philosophy, but also upon we can build upon our ethics upon how we can live. Now, you may ask the question, and it's a, it's a good question, right? Of how do we know that, Pastor Young, that the God of the Bible in the Bible, it's ultimate reality and not everything else. And the answer to that is, is pretty simple. is I can't argue that. And you can't argue that. You see, if you were to ask me, say, Pastor Young, let's go to a, a neutral site where you bring your, your weapons and your arguments for Jesus and for your faith. And I'll come with my arguments for my ideas of what is real and my ideas of morality. Let's meet at this neutral site and let's battle it out. Scripturally speaking and just philosophically speaking, there is no neutral site. There is no place where you can say, I'm, we're, we're, here's this neutral place, and we'll use reason to figure it out because reason has its own presuppositions and its own, own understandings of reality. But what we as Christians realize is that there is a, re- a reality that is given to us by God and a reality that is, has been created by sin. And if you were to ask me to prove God using principles that are not God centered, I can't do it. And neither can you, can you, oh, sorry, and neither can the unbelieving world prove their principles as well. For us as Christians, would someone ask you, prove to me that your God of the Bible really is the God of the Bible? prove to me that scripture really is infallible and given by God. I can give you reasonable explanations, but ultimately, my response is simply this. I can't prove it to you. God is simply God. Scripture is simply scripture. And for many people, maybe you guys are sitting here, you go, whoa, that is so unsatisfying that is so unsatisfying. How can I believe something like that where you're just telling me just to believe? I will say this, and listen carefully. Everybody has faith. Everyone has religion. Everyone trusts in a worldview that they cannot explain. For those of you who trust in reason and science, physics major here, scientist. Did my uh, senior thesis at college on quantum mechanics and philosophy. I had no idea what I studied. Okay, it's way up there. Um, okay. But you look at them and you say, "All right, you base all your principles on on reason." You make hypothesis and you, and you test them out but you need some sort of logical um, uh, consistency within that but ultimately your tool of use to describe to figure out reality is logic now you've asked me to describe jesus and describe scripture without using jesus and scripture as my source and i i said to you i can't do that that's ultimate I asked the scientist, prove to me that logic is logical or logic is ultimate reality without using logic. Can you do that? Can you prove if ultimate reality is simply your existence? Okay? Listen, listen. Listen. Can you prove to me your existence without using your existence? See, ultimately for all of us, for religious people, ultimately for all of us, we start somewhere. We all have faith in something or someone in order to create what is real. it makes sense. Why does this make sense for us as Christians? Think about it. Brothers and sisters especially, really think about this. Were you persuaded to become a Christian? Does someone have these wonderful logical arguments about Christianity, about Jesus, that one day you just woke up and you said, this makes total sense. I'm going to become a Christian. Does Scripture teach Teach that. No, it doesn't. Did you one day sort of just just wake up and go, you know, logically, it makes sense? Went through all the arguments? Or you looked at your existence and you said, yeah, just looking at my existence, logically, it makes sense that Jesus of the Bible is the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture doesn't teach that. For us as Christians, what do we believe? What do we see in Scripture? Is that we lived in darkness. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. That the chasm between life and death, no human being could cross. That in our death, we could, in the deadness of our sins, that we could not see Christ and his glory and his goodness. We believe that God does what? He gives us his spirit and he brings us from darkness to life. It's a conversion experience. It's having lived in one world and all of a sudden being plopped into another world. It's not this gradation of coming to know Jesus, but it's that moment when God's spirit comes in you and by faith you recognize that this worldview doesn't hold water, but this worldview of who Christ is and who I am is what's true and what is real. It's why we pray for people to come to know Jesus, not simply are you people to come to know Jesus? God Himself in our own um, in our own experience has shown us and scripture has described to us that the two worldviews of, of God and Christ and everything else have nothing to do with one another. And so we pray and hope that people can come to know Christ. Here's some things I want to share with you about some implications of this for us as a church. There is this thinking, and this is something that's very popular um, in the the 1990s, and it's still popular today, that people have what's called a pre-conversion time. You know, they start questioning. And if we point to this time as people coming to Jesus, we, we sort of see people sort of getting closer to Jesus, you know, maybe they have better questions, maybe they come to church often, okay? and then when they're here, we're like, Oh, they're so close, they're so close, they're so close, they're so close to see how, how great Jesus is and, and how much Jesus will fill them. They're so close, they're so close, and then we, we see other people who are still living what we call the, the heathen life, right? And they're all the way over there, and we look at them going, Boy, they're so far away. <laughs> And we believe that there's sort of this continuum from unbelief to belief. But the reality is, is that the person here is no closer to knowing Jesus than the person here. Two worldviews, two separate places. Our duty as Christians is not to, to sort of have them look morally like a Christian. That is not our goal. Our goal is not to be satisfied when people sort of seem to live the Christian life and morally like a Christian. That's not our goal. Your goal, in your life, is not to live sort of like, like, like a cultural Christian who sort of knows all the things to say and all the things to do. Because no matter how hard you try that, you're still in this worldview. But for us as a church and us as God's people, our duty is always to do what? Am I over here? Have I looked at myself, my lostness, my sins? And do I trust in Christ as my Savior? And anyone else who is over here, whether we see it through the morality of of the United States of America or from whatever Asian culture you have, no matter how good of a person you are, do you still look at them and and you say, they're in a different worldview? Their ultimate reality is not you yet. Help them, God. I pray to you, God, that they would come to know you and worship you. Christian, our verse here says today, you need to build your life on the rock, on Christ himself, who you have believed in. God has exposed to you and shown you what is real. You know that you are not the ultimate reality. You know that the world does not revolve around you. You know that whatever God has in store for you is good. You know that meeting together with brothers and sisters in Christ and helping each other to grow in the knowledge of God and his love is the ultimate ethic for us as Christians to gather and to love one another. That to build our house on the rock means to love the people around us and to do good to all people. That we're not to build our house on the sand because we don't live on the sand anymore. We don't do ethical things just to be ethical. We don't be nice just to be nice. But we do all things for God's glory. And we bear fruit in keeping with that spirit lastly Pastor Young you have trying to persuade us that these ultimate realities have different visions of the world and that you as Christians you, you guys say that Jesus and the Bible are real God and the Bible are real and you can't argue that you just sort of presuppose that those are your ultimate realities I understand that and then you're saying over here that you know people who a rationalist, that that's their ultimate reality, and they can't, um, they can't uh, uh, prove that either. OK, I understand that. But then how do we as Christians persuade them, to share the gospel with them? How do we tell them the gospel if, if in a sense, we can't argue with one another, because we're starting at different points? The answer is in, actually in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Beatitudes, sort of the moral code of the Christian. The answer is simply this. It's, we as Christians have this worldview of what the world should look like, have this worldview of how people should be treated. Our duty is to exhibit those and walk in those and to show forth to the world that who God is and his vision for the world makes the most sense of what we see in the world. It's the right interpretation of every phenomenon in this world. And we gently show the rationalists or, or whoever you meet that their worldview doesn't make sense. That their worldview has some holes in it. I remember when um, Bill Clinton was president and Hillary Clinton went to the Middle East to talk about women's rights. And I remember thinking, what a, what a great speech. Women should be treated like human beings. They have rights. But I also remember after she gave that speech, wondering, going will they even understand what they're saying? So the worldview in the Middle East, The way women are seen and treated is a lot different from the West, a Judeo-Christian perspective. Then I remember about a year ago when we had all these, um, not a year ago, just earlier this year, when you had the the bombings in in Egypt of the the Coptic Christians. And you won't see this in the front newspapers, but, but hearing stories of missionaries out there who are trying to share Jesus with people. That an inordinate amount of women started to come to know Christ, and the reason why they started they started to come to know Christ was because of the worldview that Jesus had for women. They said, "Your God Jesus loved the women. Your God Jesus." a compassion upon them you as christians give dignity to us as women and in so doing many of them want to know who this jesus was and they came to know this jesus who saves us from our sins. Brothers and sisters, if you will simply live the life that God has given you, people will see your good works and know that you serve Jesus. For those of you here who are still questioning their faith, who are trying to figure out, am I, am I a believer or not? Um, who are here perhaps just because a friend invited you and you're, you're still wondering about um, this, this Christianity type thing. Or, or perhaps you have, there's, there's certain things about the scriptures and Bible that really sort of just twist you and irk you. Uh, let me say a couple things. Number one is that scripture should irk you. If scripture didn't irk you, then, then it wouldn't be scripture. <laughs> If God didn't challenge you, God wouldn't be God. Actually, you would start to disdain Christianity. You would start to disdain the Bible if it agreed with everything you agreed with. But if God is God, He is holy, He is infinite, He is perfect. The things in Scripture, there will be things in Scripture that you're like, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I encourage you to see it as a sign of Maybe there's something about this book. Maybe there's something about this God. Secondly, I want you to go to your own presuppositions. ask you the question, where does your reality start? What is the basis of your reality? What is the basis upon which you describe all things? And and, and I dare say, most of you, you, you we, we we don't think that way. I understand that we don't think that way. But I'm challenging you to think that way. I want to challenge you. Does that worldview really satisfy in all things? There are many, many CEOs who make it to the top and they're disappointed when they get to the top. There's many people who who sought after wealth and once they got the wealth, they were disappointed. There are many people Who sought after that marriage, got married, and yes, were disappointed because they can't fill everything. But I challenge you to look at Christ. He promises to fill you with life, life overflowing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that we come here to worship you, to be challenged by you, to meet you, Lord God. We're not here to listen to good stories about about people or listen to good stories about ourselves, but we're here to know about you. For Lord, all of us are just flesh and all of us will pass away. Father, there have been billions of people who've gone through this earth and have passed away and We don't remember that. But, Lord, ultimate reality is found upon you. You are God. You created all things. You made all things for a distinct purpose, for your glory and for the good of the people who know you and worship you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us as your people to walk as Christians do. To show, Lord, all those people who are on the fence, who are seeking, whatever you want, all those people out there who are wondering about you, that they may see the trueness of your character through your church. And that they too, Lord, may be attracted by your love and by your mercy. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.